You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm that speaks of resurrection. It speaks of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a psalm that gave great hope and perspective to the early apostles as they proclaimed the gospel of the resurrection both to Jews and to Gentiles in the earliest days of the New Testament church. And so we'll read that this morning together. Psalm 16. A mictam of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, the account of the resurrection as inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us by Luke as he recorded those events. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Beloved congregation of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, in Acts chapter 15, that famous passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, that passage which speaks about the resurrection from the dead. 
Paul states the case about the resurrection categorically, emphatically, without any excuses. He says, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. He goes on. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as it had been prophesied about him in the Old Testament, as he himself had prophesied about himself, is at the very center of our faith. The words of New Testament scholar Daryl Bach, to be something other than a human or a human ethical or philosophical system, the Christian faith must be inextricably tied to the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Christianity is just another human approach to reach God. It's emptied of its transforming power and hope. It is a mere shell, not worth the energy that one devotes to it. To hope in a resurrection that did not occur makes makes Christians the most pitied of all people. Brothers and sisters, every week as we come together for worship, we remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Many weeks we consider its different facets and we praise God for our resurrected Lord and King. Every week is to us a reminder and a call to faith in that fact that he rose from the dead. And so the preaching of the gospel is not futile and neither is your faith. Today, we give the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ our full and complete attention. And as we do so, we'll follow the eyewitness reactions of those very first eyewitnesses to that world-changing event. We'll consider their confusion and disbelief and perplexity and join them in their awe and wonder out of what the Almighty and all-sovereign God accomplished when he rose his Son from the, de- from the dead. So we consider the plan of God fulfilled. The plan of God fulfilled from disbelief to wonder. We'll consider first the women and their testimony, and then we'll consider Peter, and especially the wonder, the wondering of Peter that happens at the end of our text. So first, the testimony of the women. Since we don't often take the time to simply consider the resurrection for what it is, for what it's given to us, there's so much in the New Testament that's written about the resurrection that we spend a lot of time speaking about, considering the the implications of. But this morning, what we will do is consider this account and see how it all 
unfolded. And so you may find it helpful to have your Bibles open to Luke 24 as we go through it this morning. And our attention, of course, will be particularly on the gospel according to Luke. Every gospel writer gives us slightly different perspective on the resurrection because of the purposes that they all had. Our main attention will be on the purposes that Luke has in his account of the resurrection. So early on Sunday morning, after observing the Jewish Sabbath, we learn, according to the command of God, several women go down to the tomb of Jesus with spices and perfumes. They're going to embalm the body of Jesus Christ. We know that these were the women who had been with him in Galilee, who had probably followed him down from Galilee on his, as he made his way to Jerusalem. Probably the same women who had stood at a distance when he died. They had watched as Joseph of Arimathea had put the body of Jesus Christ into the tomb, rolled that stone over. And so they had left on Friday, considering that their Lord, that their rabbi, their teacher, was dead. It seems that they were going to come for one last act of devotion to their great leader and teacher. Embalm his body properly. Make sure that as he lay there in the grave, he was properly cared for. There was nothing else that they could do because he was dead. This was the end of the era of Jesus, of Nazareth, as far as they understood. And so they went down to the tomb. And from the Gospel of Matthew, we know that that the moving of the stone... As they come to the tomb, they see that the stone has been moved. From Matthew's gospel, we know that the moving of the stone was was quite an event in itself. The angel had come, had moved the stone. The event had caused a great earthquake. People had risen from the dead. Perhaps the women knew something about these events, but they hadn't connected it to the tomb of Jesus himself. And so they come to the tomb, and it seems that, that nothing prepared them for what they found there. Not only was the stone rolled away, but the body of Jesus was gone. The picture in your mind's eye what that would be like. Try to go there with those women. You've seen death before. You know what it looks like. You know when someone's dead? When someone's dead, they're dead. Well, Jesus was dead. After all that he'd gone through, He was very dead. They had watched as his body had been put in the tomb. And they had watched that tomb get sealed up. He was dead. And then they returned to the tomb, inclusively speaking, counting, three days later, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days, and they find the tomb open and Jesus' body gone. Dead bodies do not just get up and walk out of tombs. They don't just get up, roll massive stones away, and walk out of tombs. And so, we read, the women wondered. Yes, they wondered. Now, this is a different kind of wondering than Peter will do at the end of our text. We'll get to Peter later. This wondering that the the women are doing, the word is... is, uh, A word that means that they were perplexed, that they were at a loss, they were uncertain. 
They, they couldn't make sense of what their eyes were telling them to be true. They have no explanation for this empty tomb. They're completely at a loss. They're not resurrection deniers. But they don't believe it either. They don't believe their eyes. They're confused. But their confusion quickly gives way to fear when they see two men in clothes that are gleaming white, gleaming like lightning, appear before them. Now we know, of course, from the other accounts that these men are, in fact, angels. The women recognize, in fact, that they're angels, even though we don't read that right there. They recognize that, and their heavenly splendor causes the women to bow down to the ground. They're, they're struck down. They're in awe of these incredible men, incredible-looking men before them. Now, the angels, they don't recognize this gesture. They're more concerned with the state of those women bow down to the ground in front of them. Their, their state of, of confusion, their state of wondering, of being perplexed, at a loss, uncertain. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Is how they respond to the women. It's obviously meant to be a challenge to these women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They're prodding their faith. Now the question as it's stated there is okay, but you don't really get the sense of actually how they put that there because the living is in the singular while the dead is in the plural. So why do you look for the living one among all the dead ones? Why do you look for the one who lives among those who are dead? Why are you looking for the living one, the one who has life in himself? Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? It's a probing question, especially for the perplexed minds of those women. But for us who know, it's an obvious question. For those who have insight into the plan of God, it's a very good question. Why would you look for the one who said that he would be raised from the dead among the dead? And then they announce he is not here. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Not, he didn't die. Not, women, he lives on in your heart, in your memory. No, no. This is the living one. The living one died. He gave up his life on the cross as the world's atoning sacrifice. The only atoning sacrifice for sin. And that act accomplished. The next great step in God's great eternal plan has been taken. And the angels announce it. He has risen. Three words which unfold the glory of God's eternal plan. Three words that transform the sorrow of death. Three words that confirm the reality of forgiveness. Three words that shine the hope of change and renewal in the lives of all sinners. Three words that fulfill the promise of God, the three words that the angels spoke, He has risen. He has risen indeed. Brothers and sisters, do you know what these words mean to you? Do you know what these words mean to you? I feel like pulling a trick out of the bag of the, the primary school teacher and saying, no one's leaving here today until we all really get what's going on. 
We're all just going to sit here. Everyone's going to think about it and consider it until we all understand the significance of those words. He has risen. If you are a Christian, this forms the very center of your faith. This forms the very center of your faith. This gives perspective on everything that you do in life. This gives meaning to your life. Without the resurrection, you know your life has no meaning. If you're not a Christian, then this fact changes everything that you think you know about the world. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, if what those angels announced is true, he has risen, and you do not believe in him, then you need to know that that fact, that he has risen, it changes everything that you think you know about the world. It changes everything about death. It changes everything about what your life is for. It changes everything about God and who he is. It changes everything about how you should live your life and where you should place your trust. This changes everything. Jesus Christ came into the world He told his disciples, told lots of people that he was going to rise from the dead. And then he did. He did indeed. But we can't sit here until we understand the significance of this event because our lives are given more and more to understanding the significance of the event. event. We're not going to figure it all out today. And so we press on. The angels, after they've made that great announcement, they remind the women that They shouldn't have been confused at all. They shouldn't be wondering about this at all. Remember, Jesus told you all this already. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, rise, be raised to life. What the angels are recalling is what Jesus had twice announced while he was in Galilee. Luke 9, verse 22 He said, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law, must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Luke 9 verse 44, it repeated, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And as he had continued on toward Jerusalem, he he had repeated it in Luke chapter 18 for his disciples, giving more information. We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And each time the disciples had scratched their heads and gone, I wonder what he means by that. They didn't understand it. But now it happened. He had announced it. And now he rose from the dead. And that repetition in our in the account of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he repeats this several times, the content, of course, of what he says, I'm going to die and, and be raised to life, and the fact that the, the angels identify these words as the solution to the problem of the women, as they're all confused, makes us recognize the heavy importance of those words. But there's a word in there which also shows us the the importance of 
the words. It's the word must in verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered. We noticed it already last week. That word must in the Gospel of Luke is a very important word. He doesn't use it lightly. Whenever he uses the word must, he's speaking about the plan of God. It's necessary, according to the plan of God, that these events will take place. He uses the words to show the purpose of the Almighty and Eternal God in what's happening. This isn't some personal mission of some rabbi named Jesus. This isn't some or another would-be Messiah's great plan for the people of Israel. No, this is the eternal purpose of God, which he established before the foundation of the world, before he created anything, the purpose for the salvation and for the salvation of his people and the glory of his name. Before death came into the world, God had a plan that death would be defeated. Before Adam sinned, God had determined that the second Adam would triumph over it. And now with the tomb empty, it has happened. He has risen. And it's no wonder then that those confused women, perplexed, at a loss, uncertain, at one moment, change suddenly upon remembering those words of their Lord, the words that the angels reminded them. Did they understand it all? Most likely not. But they understand it, they understood enough to know that the living one lived again. And when you hear news as world changing, earth shattering as that, it's hard not to get very excited and tell other people. When you know news as world changing and as earth shattering, as the news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, it's hard not to get very excited and want to tell others. And that's what the women immediately do. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others, as we're told in verse 10, they go and they tell the disciples. And they're, they're so excited, in fact, that they have a hard time getting their words out in any sort of coherent manner. What they say sounds like gibberish. It sounds like nonsense to the ears of the disciples, we learn. In verse 11, they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Uh, what that, that word is only used here in the Bible. It's used elsewhere in Greek literature. It's a, it's a specific medical term. It makes sense because Luke was a doctor. And it's a term that describes the delirious talk of the very sick. The delirious babbling of the very sick. These women are so overcome at having seen this angel and heard this report and being reminded of what the Lord Jesus Christ had had said and putting it all together as they see this empty tomb before them that they almost faint. They're, They're delirious with excitement as they go to the disciples and they tell them what has happened. At one time perplexed, but now as they recall the word of God, Astonished, babbling, faint with excitement. Such is the effect the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has on those who see, who hear, and who believe.
such as the result of this amazing event in God's plan. The event that we consider this morning, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the women tell the disciples. As we learn, the disciples do not really believe the women's words. In fact, they don't believe them at all. They are, in those initial stages, they're committed to disbelief. The women tell them, and they say, no, that cannot be true. They continue to be sad about his death. They're not expecting a resurrection. In fact, it seems they weren't expecting his death either. It filled them with despair. Now, Peter is included among the eleven, of course, here. But for some reason, he doesn't react with that same disbelief. Maybe it's that impetuous nature of Peter. Maybe because he needs to be a frontline person, someone says, well, there's something going on here. Peter's the first one to go and find out about it. But for whatever reason, he goes and he's going to investigate for himself. We know from John's gospel that John also went with him. So Peter goes to investigate and to see whether it's true that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And what is Peter's reaction? If you look in the last verse of our text, verse 12, you see that it says, Peter got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You put that word wonder together with the wondering of the women early on, and you think that Peter too must be at a loss, uncertain, perplexed. But in fact, that's a different word there. It's a word that can mean wonder, but it's an entirely different kind of wondering. It's the kind of wondering that a child does when they, they're standing in their house and they're watching an amazing thunderstorm going on. And they go, wow, that's powerful. That's amazing. I don't understand how it all works, but that's incredible. It's a wondering that an adult does as you, you go for a hike nearby on some mountain. You go to this peak and you see stretched before you just vistas you never imagined before and you wonder, wow, this is amazing. I don't comprehend everything that's going on here, but this creation of God is incredible. That's the kind of wonder that filled Peter's mind. Everywhere else in the New Testament, this word is translated with either amazed or astonished. And some other modern English versions have those words as well. Peter wasn't filled with doubt when he saw those strips of linen in the empty tomb. He was filled with wonder. He was filled with awe and amazement. Jesus has arisen from the dead. It's certainly not an awe and amazement that's got everything sorted out. But it's the beginnings of a total embrace that will grow on Peter as he sees Jesus. We read about that in chapter 24, verse 34. As he watches Jesus ascend to heaven, as he receives that special anointing by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and as he goes out and to proclaim the risen Christ boldly to Jews and to Gentiles, this Peter, who now is filled with awe, goes out from here and proclaims the good news to all who will hear. He's a man who was prone to error and gaffes more than any other disciples. Now he's transformed through the resurrection of the Lord into an effective and a faithful servant. 
The resurrection changes everything for the world outside of Peter, and it changes everything within Peter as well, as he goes from disbelief to wonder. To the end, that proclaiming this risen Christ will not only consume his life, but will take his life as well as he's martyred for his faith. Such is the effect of the resurrection on those who come face to face with it and cannot escape its implications. Such is the the effect of what happened when Jesus Christ rose from the tomb to those who consider, who see, who hear, and who believe. It changes everything. Oh, it's possible to escape the implications. It's possible to not believe. You can put up that barrier. But for those women, for Peter, and for the many others who witnessed those events, they believed and it changed everything for them. They believed what no mind could imagine, what no heart could in itself accept. They believed the word of God and they believed the certainty of what they had experienced themselves. Most of all, they believed because the risen Lord had fulfilled the plan of God for their sake. Because Jesus Christ saved them from their sins. He rose to become a victorious Lord who would carry on the plan of God until its completion. A risen Lord who would make for himself a people, a church, chosen to everlasting life. That there would always be people on this earth to proclaim the risen Lord to this world. They believed, brothers and sisters, what we here this morning confess with our mouths, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead to save us from our sin and to bring us into fellowship with God, with a renewed purpose in life, free from those sins of the past, looking forward in hope, To the last day when Christ will return and will call all who have died in him up from the grave. He the first fruits announcing the great resurrection so that we will live forever with God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.com dot org.